Thank you for joining us in Season 2 of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Joel, good evening. It is evening now. Uh, we've broken our regular afternoon recording habits, and we've jumped to evening, yes. Well... <laughs> Should we tell the listeners or it doesn't matter? No, do not look behind this curtain. <laughs> yeah. What, we're, this is the first time we've spoken to each other all day. We Pay no we attention speak, to yeah, the rabbi behind the curtain. Two, for sure there wasn't an hour and a half of recorded audio that was not in fact recorded. That was so good. So good. So good. We're, we're we'll just call there. that the pre-show. Absolutely. We're, we're going to get there again right now though. So this is the first real episode of digging into to this season, and I'm I'm really excited about it, Joel. Yeah, season two. Here we go on tough texts and whether or not we can find a way to make these impossible to interpret and even more impossible to agree on texts from the Torah or from the Greek New Testament, all these odd religious faith-based texts that try to say something but people of faith don't know what they say or disagree what they say, argue what they say, or don't like what they say. And tonight's is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And just to uh, to reiterate to our listeners, I mean, we, we did our, our teaser episode last week. Uh, but the idea is not only to take difficult texts each week, but that but we've categorized the difficult texts into a theme. And so... Uh, this week's theme is free will. We got forgiveness, loyalty, obedience. I won't read them all uh, and spoil the surprise. Uh, but within each of those themes, we have difficult text, as we're calling them. And I realized, Joel, you have a little bit of an advantage because for me, I can really only choose from the what you would call the Old Testament. I'd call the Jewish Bible. And you can choose from the Jewish Bible and the New Testament. So I, I, I feel like it's not really fair, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there anyway. It's plenty fair. It's all right. I, I just need more help. <laughs> you were, you were <laughs> fine with the first version. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. But, and I um, hope you don't hear me say the term Old Testament very often. I try to avoid that term. I, I know it's a normal Christian phrase, but for me, it's, it, it carries some, Ugh, uh, some baggage on it, uh, and we should do our best to let that go. So I, I will try to use the Hebrew scriptures or the Tanakh or, um, and, and refer to it in some other way. Sure. And that, and that's appreciated. Although at the same point for you, it is the Old Testament and that, that's, that's understandable. It's when there's not that realization that it, it, kind of bothers me a little bit, but uh, we could probably spend 40 minutes just on what bothers us about other clergy, but that is not our topic today. <laughs> well, Jesus never said it was old. He just said, look, y'all misunderstood some things about it, and I am going to try to not teach you anything new about it, but just to reteach you what it always meant. And so I, the mm. word old would make it sound like it was obsolete, and I can't stand that. It isn't obsolete at all. It is alive, breathing, you know, representing God in some beautiful, tough ways, like ah, our first text for tonight. Oh, my. 
So uh, we're talking about free will. And this this comes up. It's an interesting topic because I think even people who claim they're not religious or actually aren't religious or don't subscribe to any particular belief system still talk about free will and autonomy and intention and why it matters. And certainly in Judaism, there are some interesting things about free will, especially when you start talking about the assumption, and I think it is an assumption, of God's omniscience and omnipotence. If God is both all-knowing and all-powerful, and there's then we have the question of suffering. We have why why is there murder? Why are there bad people? Why can't Joel get an Xbox? All of these questions about unfairness and pain and suffering, obviously kidding about one of them, um, are questions that relate to, well, if God is in control of everything, why do these things happen? Where was God in the Holocaust? And, and we'll talk about all that. But uh, why don't you why don't you start us off with a text that kind of brings brings some of that into a, a clearer focus? Sure. Uh, and those terms, free and will, we we better be pretty pretty clear what our faith traditions might mean when we say those two terms individually and together. Uh, free meaning uh, if we have a will, a desire, an internal choice to make about what is going to happen in our lives, that choice is free from God and other external forces. So we can freely choose, want, will, desire, and act in certain ways that God does not micromanage or control. Uh, I think that's what most Christians mean when we talk about some free-ish will. Uh, and there are some really tough texts around that. One of them appears in the Lord's Prayer, uh, which is in both Matthew and Luke, uh, where the disciples are saying, oh, teach us how to pray. Some of the other teachers, they teach them how to pray. We don't know how to do it. And he says, oh, yeah, okay, here, here's a starter prayer. <laughs> just, just get it started. And the way we often say it, well, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And that phrase, a lot of people say it so quickly, thy will be done. We say it as if it's a future tense. Um, we want something to be done in the future and we hope it will be. Um, that's not the prayer. The prayer is for God's will, whatever God wants, wills, desires, we are praying that that is what is done here among us. So in Jesus's prayer, he is confessing in some way and teaching us to confess that there is a difference between whatever God's will is and what's going on here. And he wants us to pray and, and then embody something that looks more like God's will and less like ours. The free exercise of our will doesn't match God's will. Uh, so I find that one to be a, an interesting kickoff point to think about whatever God's control or plan or all those weird words we sometimes use is when it comes to our exercising our will in God's word world. And so to, to piggyback off of that, uh, different 
thought, but but certainly on the theme, is there the book of Proverbs says that fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And the English of that is horrible. Uh, it's really awe of God. Um, the word is nora, and it's translated as fear because when you are in awe of something with so much power, there might be a fear there. It's, it's incredibly powerful. Um, but it's really awe and astonishment. And I believe it's in the Talmud that it says, God is in control of all things except whether or not someone has the Hebrew expression, yirat Hashem, fear or awe of God. And that's an interesting kind of duality. And in some ways, there's a, there's a tension there. But for me, and I, I think generally speaking in Judaism, what make the mitzvot, the laws, holy is that we have the choice to do them or not do them. Sure, the traditional belief is that God commanded them and they come from God, but that still gives you the choice as a, as a human actor to follow them or not follow them. Um, and the same is true for those of us that don't believe the Torah was necessarily written by God. Um, but the, the theme remains that we have that choice and that's what creates morality. That's what creates holiness. Um, one other th quick thing I'll say about that is, and, and I, I think you'll resonate with this as well is, you know, the first few chapters of Genesis, we are created in the image of God. So that means to me that we are powerful like God is powerful. We can create like God creates. And we have a will ourselves that can be done. And that can be done for good. That could be done for bad, for indifference, for selfishness, for selflessness, all of those things. In your Hebrew scriptures, there's a lot of places where God's will isn't clearly good. So it would explain the source of sin in us if our will is like God's, and God isn't always good, then the source of sin would become God's spark in us, God's putting some of God's self into us. Well, I don't, I don't know that I'd make that theological leap. <laughs> I understand where you would. Why though. not, and Eric? What <laughs> different topic, Joel? De season three, <laughs> we'll talk about the the reality or not of uh, of um, primordial sin. Well, let's go but, to Exodus um, and figure out we, how in the yeah. heck they couldn't get out of Egypt any faster. But well, I'll go there in a second. But I, I something you said definitely resonates, and that is, and again, the assumption that God is all good. When God decides to flood the earth and destroy all of humanity, except for Noah and his family, not only do I think that wasn't good, I think after it happened, God, God's self didn't think it was good because God promises never to do it again. And there's, there's it has to draw a rainbow like to, to remember the promise, like a string on his finger or something. That's right. That's right. And there all are right, lots so of places where God's will um, is enacted, and then later God says, ugh, God changes God's own heart slash mind, which I interpret as will, uh, and and promises not to do what God's first intention was or God's last action was. Yeah, I am not a fan of the belief that has God as a constant static being or entity. 
I like to believe in a God that learns along with us, hmm. that improves, that God, God's self does tikkun olam, which we translate as the repair of the world, the repair of the universe. Yeah, so let's get into Exodus, some troubling texts. So, uh, you know, a lot of people have seen the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston or the Prince of Egypt, and we know the story that Israelites were slaves for over 400 years, and Moses escapes Egypt after uh, beating a taskmaster and freeing an Israelite slave and encounters the burning bush. Long story short, Moses becomes the leader of the Israelites. And God sends Moses and Aaron to talk to Pharaoh and basically get the Israelites out of Egypt. The famous line that we all know, let my people go. But something interesting happens in the course of the 10 plagues, and that is God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And it happens a few times throughout the 10 plagues where Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh, and the Torah tells us God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and essentially because of that, Pharaoh says no. No, I won't let the Israelites go. And because of that, there are more plagues, which of course cause havoc, pain, suffering for Pharaoh and the Egyptian people, many of whom were presumably innocent, right? So that is a problem. That is a problem of free will. It Pharaoh, according to what we call the pshat, the simple meaning of the text, which doesn't mean it's simple as in anyone can understand it, but literally what the text is saying is that, that God influenced history, that God changed uh, something that would have happened um, for some sort of motive. Now, what the motive is, who knows? Um, there's a interpretation that actually makes sense to me. It's problematic in a different way, but it suggests that if Pharaoh did let the Israelites out right away, then God wouldn't have done the 10 plagues, what we also call the 10 miracles. Of course, it depends on perspective, right? And if God didn't perform the 10 miracles culminating in the death of the firstborn, the Israelites wouldn't have witnessed God's power and God's might, and perhaps wouldn't have been so keen to worship Adonai, the, the God. So, that's a very troubling explanation, and I'm not saying I, you know, believe that, but it, but it is an explanation that makes sense from a logical point of view. But this issue of free will being abrogated because God wants to do something is highly problematic. And I, I've come to another place in how I read that Exodus story, knowing that it was written down much later when. The, the citizens of Jerusalem and of Judah, the southern kingdom, have been expelled out of Babylon into the desert again. They pulled all the old stories together um, as an oral tradition and started writing it down as fast as they could so they could have it all in one place, one package. And, and for me, that I look at that now and I say, all right, they kept that part of the story and they remembered it that way and they wrote it that way because they had just suffered at Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and his inability to understand the compassion of the people he was attacking and invading and taking the city from. So they they still wanted to know that there was a God, a good God who was above them and had power and, and control, but they weren't willing to put 
it on themselves as the prophets had warned them. <laughs> when you lose your city, it won't be because of me. It'll be because of you. And so they had to blame somebody else. And they're willing and they can't sacrifice God's power. So they blame Pharaoh under God's control. And and that's the only logical explanation they can come to if they don't want to name themselves accountable for the loss of their their southern kingdom and their city. That obviously doesn't apply to slaves who are oppressed people under Egypt and that God is attempting to free. But when those who are busily crafting and assembling all the scriptures uh, edited and wrote it and pieced it all together, um, they couldn't put themselves in the spot where what they had lost and what they had felt was on them. They put themselves more equal to slaves as if they were blameless. And, and I think their theology then moved some of the blame onto God. I don't find the rest of scriptures to, to support that, that God is worthy of blaming uh, for Pharaoh's hard-heartedness. We've known many a politician who have shown a real problem can weep one second and then they head back to their party convention and suddenly they're right back on the party bus. Uh, so I, we've seen a politician's heart get hardened. And I don't think that was God. I, I consider it to be God the, is the one who softened the heart for a minute and put a tear in the corner of the politician's eye and, when and they this saw is what, the pain. And this is what Jewish tradition does with this text because, you know, we're, we're not the first people to think it's problematic, right? And they, they kind of do a similar thing, where, which is that Pharaoh was so cruel and unfeeling that God only either God exacerbated that or God kind of made it so that Pharaoh would see it himself and get punished for his actions. I mean, there's all sorts of interpretations there. Um, but what's, what's notable is that those interpretations bring back the free will. Of Pharaoh. Which ultimately is important. Right. Of Pharaoh. Right. Because if, or if we, if we are puppets, that aren't responsible for our actions, then I, I, I don't know what holiness means. I mean, the whole idea of holiness is that we choose it. We sacrifice something to be holy. We, we are selfless. We, we are generous. And if, if that's a force, then, then it kind of loses that, that meaning and that morality for me. Now, this is a place you and I can diverge, and we can play with this a little. Uh, a lot of times in Christianity, the term free will is meant for that. Um, we have the full capacity given by God to freely choose. And when Christians talk about using our free will well, we often mean to choose to believe and trust and follow Jesus and live life his way. And when we do that, we're creating holiness. And when we don't, we're not. And so the blame of the holiness or the lack of that we create in the world becomes us, our use, choice of free will. 
But there's another condition under which our will isn't really fully free, and it's the, the, the condition of systemic sin into which we are born that we do not choose, but that infects us and changes the way we see the world. For example, the, the six-year-old who's at a protest sign with a, holding a racist placard next to his parents and grandparents. Um, you, that six-year-old, is that an exercise of free will? Or is that some, uh, someone else's bad use of will beforehand that infected the system into which that six-year-old was born and raised? So we often talk about, in my strand of Christianity, yes, there is a free-ish will, but we aren't free to fully choose the holiness until the system is fully cleansed. There's something about the goodness of creation that we have changed uh, or stained or that has fallen. All those words are trying to say that same thing. The goodness of God's creation and the spark of God's goodwill and, and holy will into this world, the freedom that humans were given we misused and instantly started creating systems and structures and principalities that then infect all those that come after us with the same distortions of what is good and right and true and holy. So while we will talk about the gift of free will, in my line of Christianity, we won't talk about it as something we can fully use to fully become the holy that God calls us to be. The language I would use for that is that we, just because we have free will doesn't mean we can do anything we want. I mean, it reminds me of the the song when we were kids, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was about, you know, like we wish for a lot of different things that we can't control. Um, I wonder how many clergy have used that song in a, in a theological <laughs> reference before, but uh, you know, no, no matter no matter what I want or how hard I work at it, I am my the fundamentals of my body are not going to change, right? Like I'm not going to be three foot feet taller or three feet shorter. Uh, there are limitations placed uh, placed on us by things like gravity and just the the nature of the world and how we interact with it physically. Like we, we can't fly. We would, you know, many of us would like to fly or teleport or, you know. So free will isn't about doing whatever you want, but it's, it, but it is about being able to do something without the, um, the being controlled by a puppet from God. Does it? I mean, when your parents. I know, don't the, go the that far. I like, I can use that word free. And I think the assumption is that my individual will, as God created it, is free from everything else. In other words, I am my own chooser and decider, and any actions that come out of me are free of any external forces. And we don't, we know that's not right. Like all, Racism and sexism and all those things are external forces. Oh, for sure. That's why, and that's why, that's why for me it's important to say that 
I mean, there are subconscious forces at play that we're not even aware of. There's things we would want to change if we knew more. I, I just mean that there, there is not some sort of divine presence that's interfering in what I choose to do with my abilities. No, I wouldn't say, right. I, I, I wouldn't say that there is a divine uh, puppet string pulling me to make certain choices. I would say that there is divine intervention correcting and healing the harm that I am doing to myself and others around me so that regardless of my misuse of the semi-free will that, that I have, when I use it for good, that is applauded and appreciated and streamlined by God. And when I use that free will for what I thought was good, but has ripple consequences, side effects that are bad, God is repairing those and bending those toward the good as well. You've silenced me. Well, there's this crazy line Paul uses where he says, I, I don't understand my own actions. I don't do what I want to do, but I end up doing the very thing that I hate. <laughs> and if I'm not able to do what I want, and if I continue doing what I don't want to do, then I'm really glad that there's the Torah, the, the law, the scriptures. They will remind me what is good. But then he says, but I know the law, so why can't I do the good? And he says, that's sin. In other words, sin isn't just the free choice of my will. Sin is also this condition into which we're born. And, and that's where when I talk about free will from a scriptural point of view, I'm going to say, yes, but yes, our will is free. And our will isn't free. Yes, the sins I commit are mine and I chose them. And sometimes the sins I commit are as the result of the system and the structure and the principality or the power that taught me that was good, that was normal, that was okay, when it really wasn't. But you can be like uh, second reference of tonight, what Yoda says, unlearn what you have learned, right? I mean, you, you can do that. That's what the Torah's purpose is, yes, the way Paul talks about it. It is to teach us, to unlearn. But the way Christians end up seeing this is, okay, if we could have ever fully become the human beings God created us to be all on our own, simply by using our force of will to obey the Torah in its fullness and its completeness with perfect interpretation and perfect embodiment, Jesus wouldn't have come, and we wouldn't need a Messiah. And what Jesus does is closes the gap for us between where we, our inability to embody the law in all its fullness. And despite the fact that we were created human in God's image, despite the fact that we were given will, we have proven uh, that we cannot use it freely freely in a beautiful, holy way. 
that's the tension. I mean, that's why, you know, people always talk about, for example, you know, where was God in the Holocaust, right? And, and my question is, well, where was humanity in the Holocaust? And the answer to that is the answer, where was God in the Holocaust? Because the idea of humanity being able to do things both beautiful and horrific is hugely important to me. And if there was a God that could interfere with something like that, and I'm not sure that I believe in a God that can do that, but let that, you know, put aside my own beliefs for a second, that would, that would abrogate what I see as humanity's free will. And so to a certain degree, we can't have full justice in the world because we have the freedom to do otherwise. Lovely. I, I think I'm. I think I'm all the way there with you. Yes. And to go somewhere that I know pushes both of our buttons. This is exactly why I get so riled up and tense my fists, but still nod and smile with someone when they say, "Well." Everything happens for a reason. No, no. Because that, to me, is another, uh, aside from being bad theology, it's an abrogation of free will. Something something happens to someone and we say everything happens for a reason. So that means it couldn't, you know, it, God literally created it. God put the, the, you know, the dominoes in motion so that A to B to C to D and who knows how many events had to transpire in exactly the right order and time. I mean, it, it, to me, it's ridiculous. And I'm sorry to be so blunt about it. I, I hope you will be more blunt next time somebody says that in your presence because you are the theological pro in that space. And they aren't just practicing bad theology. They are now born into a bad system. And they are they are not exercising free will in that moment when they repeat that. They are simply repeating what the system taught them to say. and And you need to give them new Torah so they won't. But I'll tell you something I struggle with, Joel. I so in an adult ed class, absolutely. If 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 I'm teaching on free will or on theodicy, you know, the, the nature of the theological problem of suffering. I'll do it at Starbucks, man. <laughs> oh, I know you will. <laughs> I've seen him do it, folks. I've seen him do it. Um but if someone, you know, what one of my favorite professors used to always say, when you go into a hospital and something happened or you go into a family's home that's grieving, it doesn't have to be the, a tragedy. It could be just, you know, something sad. You don't do theology. You hold their hand and cry with them. And so, you know, someone – and that's when someone's going to say something like that or oh, I've done someone it. else will say no, it to I've them. I've said it. it right there. Like in a hospital – with a, a premature birth, very early, um, at that a little before the point where viability is even a possibility. Mm. And that tiny little child lived just a few days, and somebody in that space 
said it. I guess everything Ugh. happens for a reason. And I just simply said, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, some things happen. That. Uh-uh. Some things happen. And there is absolutely no reasonable reason whatsoever. And I had to do that to care for the parents from this other person in the family, right, who is out of I can bounds. see that. And, sure. And they are and, – and this one hits really close to home. It was at my own father's funeral when I was six, and some little well-meaning Southern Baptist woman said, I guess God needed him more than we did. You know, and I'm a six-year-old boy whose father has died, and the that is the same expression, but just in different language, as if Absolutely. God's will was done in Daddy's death. Well, no, that that wasn't. That was sinful human will that that broke Daddy's life and put him uh, through that. It wasn't God's will. God's will isn't for sinful and human pain inflicted on ourselves or each other. That's that's what we do. Death is a part of the grand plan. But my dad died in a by suicide in a tough way. And that wasn't that wasn't God's plan. That was my dad's plan. And dad did that, not God. And so how to tell that woman for the rest of my life, no, ma'am, do not confuse the misuse of our will with God's and do not attribute to our inability to freely use our will in a beautiful, holy way to it all being directed and managed by God's puppet strings. Well, I think generally, religious or not, people have a problem with unknowns and with mysteries. And I don't mean a mystery like a mystery novel or a movie. But of course, the whole point of a mystery novel or a movie is there is an ending. There is a solution. So it actually does prove my point, I guess. But that and, – and even more so if we can attribute something that's not only unknown but painful to God – then perhaps that's comforting. Again, bad theology. You know, I, th- I, I, I've been thinking about a line by John Lennon a lot lately, which is, um, give me a second. Everything is going to be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it means it's not the end. I love that. And I, and, you know, that's eschatology, right? I mean, the, that's it. in Judaism, when the rabbis basically created the concept of olam haba, the world after, that one would merit in a good life, that made life meaningful for people, a life of pain and suffering and torture and pogroms and all of those things. It gave them some, some reason to still do the mitzvot, to still live Jewish lives of holiness, because they would merit what they deserve. Maybe not now, but in the world to come. Everything will be okay in the end. Everything happens for a reason. It, it, that all links together. Um, See, those two why, don't have to link together. Don't make that jump. And and like, those go, are the two that more. don't work. 
go go further in that. Tell me what you mean. Yeah, so everything works out in the end. Yes. Everything happens for a reason. No. Oh, I see. Okay, I that's fair. That's totally fair. Right. So for me, the the grand eschatology. See, Presby- I'm Presbyterian right now, so I I practice Christian <laughs> the Christian faith under the stripe of uh, Presbyterian, which is a uh, Presbyterian is the way we govern, but it's under the Reformed theological umbrella, and and part of that we Presbyterians get ragged all the time for this weird term called predestination. And nobody who's not Presbyterian understands what it means, and most Presbyterians don't understand what it means. It has nothing to do with whether or not I chose to go to McDonald's for lunch today. It has nothing to do with the little actions of my daily life. In those actions, I am unfortunately still ridiculously free, which means I fill them with terrible choices all the time that do harm to myself and others around me. If all of that was scripted, that would be predeterminism. Every little action is predetermined by God, planned by God, so that every little domino and every little string pull is woven or written, pre-written in God's grand book, as if I'm just walking through the script. Predestination, you hear it in there. The only thing that's predetermined by God is what the final destination is. In the end, it's all going to be okay. And along the way, we're going to mess up. We're going to get lost. We're going to screw things up terribly. We're going to hurt one another, even hurt ourselves. God is going to bend all of that toward God's grand destination, the feast, the kingdom, all these other terms that we sometimes use for it. And, and we know that grand destination is God's promise. It's not just predetermined. It's also promised. But it has nothing to do with whether or not I choose McDonald's or whether or not I wreck my car this afternoon or whether or not I win the lottery. Those little actions in my life, which feel so big, they won't change the inevitability of God's beautiful kingdom coming through. Just to go off track on that, what did you have for lunch today? You mentioned (laughs) McDonald's twice. I did. I had the spicy chicken deluxe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, did we talk about this on another episode? Yes, yes, we've already done it. The Chick-fil-A knockoff. (laughs) Yeah, well, Popeye's, in terms of the spicy, no one beats the Popeye's. So what you're saying is we are responsible for our actions. Yes. And and I'm even willing to say we are responsible for the actions we choose and we are responsible for the sinful actions that we inherit from those who come before and, us. Well, not necessarily on the topic of free will, but I, I'd also say we're also responsible for the things we don't do. Yes. The things we choose not to do, whether intentionally or not. Yes. But uh, that's the two well, by two I, matrix of sin, like the sin of the, commission and the sin of omission. Right. Um, that's two of them. And then the other one, the other two are the sin of choice or the sin of inheritance. So 
you can commit a sin that you inherited. It's still on you. Mm-hmm. I, I've never thought of it as that grid before. I like that. Um, well, I hope that our listeners make the choice to listen next week. <laughs> uh, next week, we are going to talk about forgiveness. Another topic that I think is it's uh, evergreen. It's not particular to any one religion. It's not particular to religion. Um, but we are going to use some texts and uh, I think we'll use some, this one has some texts that people I think will know, but I think we're going to do some interesting things with them that uh, that might be new to some folks. Yes, yes. Let's let's use our free will this week, well, folks. But if you don't, <laughs> trust in God's grace anyway. <laughs> amen, amen. Amen, and, uh, amen. Joel, always always good talking to you. You too, Rabs. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realreligionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.